0: Welcome to The Evidence-Based Therapist, a podcast where we read so you don't have to.
1: Here you'll find three therapists discussing cutting-edge research articles, explaining why and how people work together to find healing.
0: Welcome back to The Evidence-Based Therapist. We're here in the studio today with the three of us, myself, Melissa, Bridger, and Caleb. Welcome back, guys. We've taken a short break from recording, so uh yeah, yeah it's been a few weeks. We are back. It's We're so back. good. To it's be so back. good. You know, I have I have missed this. I missed you guys oh. <laughs> I mean we've been together a lot. <laughs> well yeah, yeah, but it's but definitely set and setting. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. Special. Set and set in it mm-hmm. is
2: special.
1: Context dependent specific, yeah. context specific
0: yeah. So we have some uh, pretty fun and exciting updates from Beyond Healing that we want to share so with many. you guys. So part of the reason why things have been a little chaotic on our end is that we recently purchased our new home Yay. as a company and as an institute and the center and all of the things that we're doing. Um, and so we've been busy making our new home a real home. Um, but that also includes some exciting news. It includes you guys, which is to all of our Patreon members out there. Thank you, thank you, thank you. you. Thank you. So we had talked about previously on the podcast that we had a goal of when we reached $1,500 a month of uh, committed support that we would uh, buy video recording Mm -hmm. equipment so that we could share with you guys on patreon uh video episodes yes (laughs) which
1: is going to be so funny (laughs) it really will be yeah and i hope helpful and
0: well and i i was uh reviewing some material and we you know made the comment i think it was in episode five about if you send us sketches of what you think we look like before you actually see us that we'll send you a sticker i'm committing to that if we we get any have we
1: gotten people Huh? Have we gotten any sketches? No, not yet? No,
0: mm-hmm. I mean, it just released. So, but I'm going to say it again. So, if you send us your sketches, you will get a sticker yeah. or yeah. maybe more than a sticker. If you're listening
2: to this, you can't go on Instagram or no. somewhere where our photos no, don't, are. Don't cheat because we'll yeah, know you if can't you cheat. cheat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's not fun. You can't.
1: Yeah, if yeah. you started drawing Gandalf, like, you're too close. <laughs> you're too close. And so,
0: we'll know that you For cheated. you or me. i just kidding. <laughs>
3: well,
0: uh, <laughs> uh, hey. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, because of you and your committed support, Patreon members, yes. we are uh, able to get that video equipment, and that means yes. that very soon... We will have it for the building. Yes, coming to episodes near you, there will be lots of video, and we are yeah. also committed to figuring out how to do a routine bloopers yes. <laughs> edition, because that definitely needs to happen. So
1: that will expand us into YouTube, right? So yeah. So YouTube people world. on desktop, and yeah. if you want to see it on like TVs and streaming mm-hmm. and stuff, it's a little easier to do that yeah. than... Like a podcast app streamed onto a TV. Yes. Yes. So you can sit
0: and watch us talk in our lovely new home space. That's right. Beyond Healing Institute and Center in downtown Springfield, Missouri. That's where we are. Yeah.
2: And something I was actually thinking about um, today, I was talking with somebody who listens to a lot of the stuff that we put out. And um, they were just talking about how um, they hope that in each of their listens that it gets this episode all the more likely to be shared with other people oh, yeah and that's i love true. that idea yeah. and um one of the things that they said is that we need to encourage people to like like it and leave reviews because oh, that's what iTunes. gets us to more people it is true um which is something that i honestly i've thought about but never been like yeah we should tell people to yeah. like and review our stuff <laughs> yeah we, I just never we have so much
0: fun it. making it that we forget sometimes to yeah. promote it. It's but wonderful. <laughs>
2: there are algorithms within iTunes and Spotify that yeah. the more likes and reviews there are, the more likely it will come up.
0: Yeah. This feels like a thing that we should know as professional podcasters. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're learning. So the point kind is. kind of mainstream, you know? Yeah. If, yes. if you like us or if you love us, go and tell iTunes that you like us. Yes. By pushing that button and leaving a review and make sure yeah. that it's five stars and all of that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
2: The person that I was talking about, um. Talking about this too, she was just like, How wonderful would it be if you just typed in therapy and one of your podcasts? (laughs) I was like, I think we're a long way from that. But I that (laughs) That sounds amazing. amazing. To me that
0: sounds like type in United States of America and my face pops up. like i have a few steps that's away from that that's a lot, that's a lot. yeah yeah that's um a lot. but i'm i'm yeah. open
2: to therapy springfield missouri yes yes have you been to springfield absolutely. will be a thing yeah absolutely and I she said so. this person i was talking to said well bridger sometimes you're only one like away
0: oh that's like, so sweet oh, that what an encouraging sweet. conversation yeah. so be our one like away yes. and go like us
2: but- Sorry, one last thing. For okay. The person that said that, you know who you are because you're listening to this. Oh,
0: thank yeah. you. Thank you. I don't know who you are, but thank you. Yes, thank yeah.
1: you. The mysterious other. Thank
3: uh-huh. You. Uh-huh. She,
0: a Beautiful yeah. conversation. They are a subject. They are They're a so, real mm, human out there. Mm. All of our listeners are. So speaking of that, all of our real listeners with real human lives and real human bodies out there. You got a
2: face. Yep. And a person. The
0: point is we would love to meet you. And we have lots of opportunities coming up to do exactly that if you're a therapist. And one of our favorite ways to get to know people is to have you come to one of our trainings um, because then it's three to five days of hanging out and getting to know each other. And you just get to hear us talk all day long for days in a row. And you get CEs, which is handy because we all need them regularly. Can you say how many again? Yeah, so it depends on the training. Okay. So our next training, we have a training every month for the rest of the year. A couple of months, we have two. We're supposed to only be doing one, but we got a little overcommitted. It happens. So if you're looking to book a training for your area, we would love to come. We are booking into 2022, so let us know now so we can get you on the schedule. It is Um, filling up. so Yeah, because we really are committed to trying to only do one a month because we would like to have lives as well. Um, But this is one of our favorite things that we do besides podcasting and besides our own clients. So our next training opportunity is actually an EMDR uh, training here in Springfield, Missouri. That's done by myself and my partner, Jen Savage. That's a five-day professional training for therapists. And at the end of that training, you are uh, trained to do EMDR and can go forth and proceed to do EMDR in your uh, setting, wherever you are. Um, The only other requirement to be allowed to do it is that you have 10 hours of follow-up consultation, but that's built into the training. Training process. Um, so if you're curious about that, you can go to our website, um, which is beyondhealingcenter.com, and go to the trainings tab. Um, you can also email us at trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com. Um, and that is happening September of this year from Thursday, the 16th of September, to Monday, the 20th of September. And that's an in-person live training here in Springfield, Missouri. And will be held in our beautiful new building that we're so excited about.
2: (laughs) Just come for the building.
0: Yeah. Just come to hang out with us, you guys. Just come by. We really, really like to meet people. It's going to
2: be gorgeous and built for humans. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we have another training happening in October, which would be a great opportunity. This one we're traveling for. So we're going to Tulsa, Oklahoma. That training is a three-day training. And it's our somatic integration and processing training. SIP1. SIP1. Yeah. Somatic integration processing training. One, because there's also a follow-up, two. (laughs) Um, And this training is our uh, case conceptualization model that the three of us here at this table wrote together. Yes. And have been training uh, quite a bit this year, and it's been a beautiful experience, and we're so excited to continue to share it. That will actually be a hybrid training, so that means that you can either do it in person with us in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Or you can do it uh, virtually, which has been a really successful experience so far. We thought that Um, it would be. We thought that it would. Yes, but but it actually worked out really well. People connect really well. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, So that is in Tulsa or virtually in October. And Bridger, I believe you've got the dates for that one.
2: October 7th through the 9th seven through the night that's a three-day training. thursday through saturday yeah, yeah yeah
0: oh so and ce's so for the emdr training in september you would get a total of 40 40 ce's which is way more than anybody ever Just, needs
1: yeah amazing yes
0: yeah you did that training recently yeah. yes it's yeah. hard to
1: say like how enlivening that training is until it's, you go through it, it. it's and a beautiful like, one This is what I wanted. Life-changing. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. For me, uh, learning EMDR was absolutely life-changing, completely changed the course of my career and many other people's careers. Um, the SIP training, you get 21 CEs for three full days, seven hours a day of training. Um, so, both of those would get uh, pretty much everything you need for your uh, certification or, excuse me, your licensure renewal that we all have to do periodically. If you have any questions about those trainings, please feel free to email us at trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com. Um, and we can connect about that or you can always find us on facebook and get connected But we would love to host you or be hosted by you if yes. you want us to come I'll in 2022. Hosted. That'd be super fun That's right. Yeah. All right. So without further ado because that was a long preamble. Yeah.
2: Well, we just came back Yeah, we had a lot I feel to like say. we had a lot to say <laughs> a lot to catch up on it's mm-hmm. true Yeah,
1: a lot of prefaces.
0: That's right. So yes. you guys ready to move into the meat um, so, of the evening? Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, let's connect it to the old the old Kind of series we were doing because we were talking about Mm -hmm. shame. Yes. And we were fascinated with how that is such a commonly used phrase Mm -hmm. and has a lot of um, muddy water as far as like the research around it. Yeah. To say the least. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so we were really fascinated on if we really stuck to um, like rigorous research and also like very dynamic conceptualization models what could we come up with as far as how do we understand shame as mm-hmm. it play into the context of the therapeutic relationship and kind of clean the waters a little bit mm-hmm. and so we've done three now this would be our fourth our article so. on yes shame yes
2: mm-hmm. so well and i think even why we wanted to do that um you know at beyond healing we see things very uh holistically and embodied And um, that being all of human experience. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about something like shame, um, you're talking about human experience, which Mm -hmm. means that it is, you know, experienced through sensory organs and then shapes the brain. Mm -hmm. And then that process carries itself out. Uh, back into the environment and then that whole process starts again Mm
0: -hmm. and by shapes the brain you don't just mean shapes the way you think but literally structurally structurally beginning at the
2: bottom and working its way up to the top and we're actually going to talk about that in this article Mm because they they thankfully not all research does this but this research does have this framework in mind of um, it seems that our experience shapes our brain and then that Mm -hmm. shapes our experience um, so this is back
0: a, to that nature versus nurture, yeah. nature, nurture nature cycle, and nurture. actually.
2: <laughs> story follows state follows story. Yes. story. Just yeah. keeps over going over and over and over again. Yes. yes. Um, so any other prophecies before we read this title?
0: No? I don't think so. I think, uh, well I said, I don't think so. And then I have one. You got so. one. <laughs> so here it is. So some of the, um, initial language in this article, I think is going to feel a little bit um, far away for some people. Because it did Mm. for me. Right, It's like, well, okay, I think I know what those words by themselves mean. Like, I know what those words mean. But what do they mean by those words in this context? So as we introduce this article... I just kind of want it to be known so that the the anxiety that anybody feels about feeling like we don't know what we're talking about, or that you don't know what we're talking about, um, that immediately after we kind of introduce the basic concept, we're going to go into a thorough explanation of what are these words mean in this context to help you guys really have a lot of understanding before we kind of move into the rest of it. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. So... This article is one that I reviewed um, in my first year of my doctorate program when I was looking at shame and its effects on our organization of mind, which is a theory in and of itself called the theory of mind, but specifically looking at early relational trauma, trauma that happens interpersonally and early in life, uh, typically within our first few years of experience. Um, Research has consistently showed the um, just foundational impact that that has on our later development and the way we even come to know ourself, mm-hmm. um, uh, the concept of self. Um, and so this article um, really tied all of the concepts together and was one of the sort of golden threads that mm-hmm. I used in and throughout my thesis um, because it held all of the parts. As I said, it, it has mm-hmm. this embodied brain view Um, that we so appreciate it beyond healing, and that's why we're even talking about it now further in this podcast. So um, this article comes to us from uh, the American Psychological Association and one of their journals called Psychological Trauma, uh, Theory, Research, Practice, and Policy. And it's from uh, the University of Hong Kong. And the title, and we're going to go slow here and make sure to talk about each of the words. Um, So Early Relational Trauma and Self-Representations. Misattributing externally derived representations as internally generated. So, uh, attribution is something we're going to talk about, and representation mm-hmm. is something we're going to talk about. And the mm-hmm. importance of recognizing is this actually coming to me from an other, right. from an external source, or is it something I know to be true about myself first yeah. as internal, mm-hmm. internally generated? Mm-hmm. And how in early relational trauma, we can start to see a complex sort of confusion around, um, actually, I think that some of the things that I know to be true about myself came from me. When in fact, when looking at early relational trauma, they came from another.
0: So can you talk about why is that difference so important in the human experience? Like, why does that matter? Why does Mm -hmm. it matter if it's coming from inside me or outside me?
2: Well, so... What if, and this is just an easy example, what if I told you you were bad as a person? Then I would
0: tell you that you're an asshole.
2: Yes. (laughs) So that's because you know it's externally generated. (laughs) Right. I said it. But Uh, what if I said it and then you repeated it back to me and thought that you said it? I'm
0: bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what you're talking about is the difference between being humiliated by someone versus feeling shame. Mm. humiliation is a bad feeling but i know i don't deserve it yeah, it's external yes and, a,
1: and and like there's a complex nuance there as well of what if you don't say something but then i internally generate it and project it is like the classic term mm. yeah into what you said right mm-hmm. so hey stop banging your knee on the table you internally generated uh Attribu- attribution of yeah. the message was actually, hey, oh, Bridger, like, thinks I you're think, bad. Yeah, I think yeah. you're bad. Mm-hmm. Right, right. That is a confusion of attribution mm-hmm. between external and internal generation. Right.
2: Yes. Right. And that is something that's well reflected in the literature and something that these researchers wanted to look at. Yeah. of Is there a correlation between early relational trauma and misattribution? Um, does the more trauma you experience uh, correlate with your inability to correctly quote-unquote attribute the source of evaluation Mm -hmm. with more trauma do you get confused more easily Mm -hmm. on whether or not i am bad is actually an internally generated belief Mm -hmm. that's what they're looking at yeah
0: Mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense yeah okay Mm -hmm.
2: all right so we're going to outline the article a little bit as is our as, has come to be our sort of form and framework mm-hmm. for how we do this we and do then
0: it. It's good for us to have a little bit of structure and then we're gonna just spin up yep
2: and go, blow off the top Yep, just go crazy with it <laughs> as all good research go. should be read That's and right. interpreted yes.
0: and yeah. enjoyed. That's mm-hmm. right This is how you enjoy research you guys don't just outline it make sure to get really excited about yeah, it And share it with you your friends. To, yeah. yeah, you have to play <laughs> You have to play, play with your research yeah, Play <laughs> with your research with your friends. <laughs> That's right <laughs> Oh, uh, we need to make shirts of that. Yeah.
1: So, Patricia, do you want to outline, outline <laughs> just kind of how they did this study? Because it is experimental. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's not yes. just like a, hey, Here's a concept. Do, you have some stud- do you have some time to take like a, a quick survey? A quick survey?
2: Right. Um, so they were looking at a uh, non-clinical population. They surveyed uh, just university students. Um, but they were looking at um, early relational trauma, as measured uh, by a sort of uh, instrument that we'll get into here in a little bit. Um, but they looked at uh, source attribution, um, so they created a um, procedure that then um, kind of teased out someone's um, attribution of a phrase. Um, and they used some very non-invasive uh, kind of invasive phrases, um, like the dog walked, something like that. And then they changed a few of the, the concepts and actually invited the participants to create a, a sentence. Mm. And then uh, through the procedure, uh, looked at the participants' ability to know which sentence they said, they said. and which sentence the researcher said. So and,
1: they read one that the researcher gave. Yep. Then they do one where they input mm-hmm. um, the subject. Yep. And then they have a third phase, which they it's are a new. I, it's a new one. And they're identifying, is this one that the experimenter gave to me? Or is this one that I came up with myself? Mm. That's right.
2: Yes. And in that they were looking at what does early relational trauma do across mm-hmm. the participants mm-hmm. for their ability to accurately, is the word that they used, uh, identify which one was externally derived, which is the researcher uh, yeah. generated sentence and which one came from me.
0: Yeah. What was the time lapse between phase two and phase three of that? Did they say? Because that sure. seems really minutes. relevant. 20 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. okay.
2: 20 okay. minutes of another uh, just Activity. mental
0: task yeah. to kind of just to clean the yes. sleep. Yes. Yeah. Because that, yep. that's very relevant. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: And, and let's just pause real fast because I want to talk about the, the sort of um, what that is like really looking at yes. deeply. I do too. I'm um, so glad you're wanting to because go. Because there. there is like a... Um, so you're reading sensed stimuli. Mm-hmm. So you are uh, receiving words that are going through your eyes. Eyes. And then important. you're going to activate a neurosequential firing of understanding through your brain. Now here's the... Bottom here's to like top. Bottom to top. Yep. The important thing that they're studying is whether or not the internal brain systems collapse yes. on their own like understanding... Or are open to seeing like, okay, that is something that someone else gave yes. me. So mm-hmm. like the brain when they're receiving externally generated messages in the first one, what particularly
2: they're, through the optic nerve, through yes. sight, which yes. is very through important. Sight.
1: Yes. And the, they're looking for how well does the brain retain the open information received from outside of themselves. Mm-hmm versus how often does their system collapse into what it already knows and then will sort of say that's not me yes Mm. that's like that was given by me by someone else that wasn't internal that that wasn't me yeah or and you could do that vice versa that is me so this is where we could even get into some attachment that's me that's not me
0: well and there's a part of me that's wondering about the the spectrum of that, and as people, you know, sort of move along that spectrum of how much are they attributing to others versus themselves, that that is a either function or cause, and I don't know which is accurate there, of um, the strategies of how we deal with the relational trauma. Like, what was the most effective strategy for us in our situation was mm-hmm. taking on extra responsibility and attributing everything to my own generation versus
1: which would be to me that sounds more preoccupied hmm. as in like i'm i'm overly um yeah. emphatic about yeah, finding like, like yeah. th- where i am and how i defend me in yeah. wherever i am yeah versus like the the labeling everything as not me is the more dismissive tendency of like i'm just gonna collapse and Mm -hmm. evade. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I
2: think it's important. They, so these researchers were doing something very, um, uh, novel in the existing conversation around early relational traumas, uh, impact on, um, self schema. So this is where this research came from Yeah, is they were looking at, does trauma have an impact on one's Awareness and concept of self their self schema, which mm-hmm. is these not just thinking parts of the brain But deeply held beliefs about self that we just come to know from our developmental history
3: mm-hmm.
2: So they were looking at that and then they added parental dysfunction a measure to, to, to inspect uh, the participants uh, Awareness of and recollection of their own parents dysfunction mm-hmm. And then looked at negative affect as well. So mm-hmm. depression anxiety too common negative affects to see what covariates there were like what what uh other variables might be affecting one's uh relationship between Mm -hmm. early relational trauma and self-schema and then what um, all of those variables did when they were considered together which is something that no research prior to this had done yeah yeah so this is why i selected it for my thesis because they were looking at variables in a very important way uh recognizing complexity within a system. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yes. Cause they break up and Bridger, you and I were kind of talking about this before they break up the representations into evaluative or procedural. Yes. Which the self schema that you're talking about is an evaluative process. Yes. You're it's a mental representation of the quality of who I am. Mm-hmm. Whereas what they're, what they were looking at as far as the misattribution I'm gonna mess that up every time I say it, but misattributing information—that is a procedural, yes, uh, kind of experience, and and they find different results for those two, yes,
2: which, is which I thought was very interesting. Yeah. Also, um, and we're kind of getting into the results a little bit, but it bears saying now, they're using um, optically assessed stimuli. They're 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 relying on one of our most immediate. Um, receptors for threat and uh, safety for cues of threat and safety the the brain processes stimuli interpreted through the ocul the optic nerve 50 milliseconds mm. it's one of our quickest uh, assessments mm-hmm. um, that means it's making its necessary loop within the neurosequential pattern of the brain that you were talking about earlier yeah. faster than any other stimuli detection
0: even auditory yes mm. yes Hmm.
2: yes so that is very interesting yes and they didn't talk necessarily about why they chose um a visual maybe to control for extraneous variables that were there from the researchers bias or something Mm but um that is very interesting to me Mm -hmm. that they chose one of the most immediate detections Mm -hmm. of the
1: human nervous system Mm -hmm. yeah and you know what i could also see happening is that uh, the body knows that that's the best way to to test Mm. but it's also just like for a researcher, that's the easiest. Yeah. yeah. You just flash it on a screen or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But the body, like, there's a reason that's so primary in studies. Right. Why we ask you to read things and see things and yes. complete visual tasks as studying this. Because mm-hmm. your eyes are so important yes. in threat detection. Mm-hmm. They're so fast. Yeah. Well,
0: and it controls for things like, uh, with auditory, one of the things that I was thinking about is the, the voice delivering. Mm-hmm. Could be significant to an individual mm-hmm. the tone or lack of tone and the interpretation of that tone or lack of tone Could be a confounding variable mm-hmm. But it is much easier to control those confounding issues yeah. with just a visual reading of a sentence. Yeah, yeah it makes Well, and sense. even
2: thinking about in the auditory assessment systems of the brain how nuanced the detection has to be
3: Mm-hmm. to know
2: which tone and pattern of voice is more threatening than other yeah or what kind of frequency of sound is going to be more threatening yes. whereas the visual it's so quick it can yeah. be just a flash of a gesture and your body's yeah. already going to react to yeah. it yeah 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 so I think the last piece before we mm-hmm. get into the results of this and then we're going to jump off from there mm-hmm. um, is breaking down evaluative versus procedural why it's important to reference that and then maybe parse out how they inspected it does that feel okay to you caleb Mm -hmm. yeah okay so do you want to start there
1: yeah so i mean the evaluative aspect of um kind of representations of self and others uh, they split it into two self schema Mm -hmm. and then shame and guilt proneness which we've talked about actually on our previous episodes of they use the tosca which measures is a 15 um, item uh, assessment written um And it has a Likert scale, but, um, the, the dynamic of an evaluative aspect you could think would be, um, and Bridger, you know, now I'm about to say this, I almost, I'm questioning myself, but I think it's because there's some, um, debate, debate on the definitions of words. But what what I was going to say was that, uh, shame and self-schemas as conscious representations, which is what this is studying based on its ability, like the participants participants' ability to explicitly understand mm-hmm. and answer based on their conscious awareness. Yeah, that is a higher brain function. Yep. And so when you think of a neurosequential firing, that's later on in the process. Yeah. Whereas the um procedural Aspects of self and other representation where you're attributing information That is much lower in the brain. Yes, and that is going to be a process of inhibition or further firing or Excitation. Yeah up the brain to kind of keep connecting to more and more information that you already have. Mm -hmm. That's right attribution happens subcortically Mm -hmm. um,
2: whereas evaluation total evaluation, self-evaluation, comes from uh, tertiary down. Mm -hmm. So top of the brain, prefrontal cortex. Mm -hmm. And they even talk about it in this article, uh, the midline structures that Mm -hmm. you see inside the uh, differentiation of the hemispheres. Mm -hmm. And this is the reason I chose this article. The midline structures are one of the primary sources of uh, afferentation, which is coming from the body up, of getting the secondary processes so the limbic brain the mammalian brain feeding into the uh the the cerebrum the mm-hmm. the neocortex mm-hmm. the midline structures are how that happens up into the brain right so if you start to focus on those midline structures with early relational trauma and what they found is decreased uh volume in yeah. these midline structures yeah.
0: they're shrunk they're shrunken
1: mm-hmm. so that means for they're shrunken for...
0: For people that have early yes.
2: relational have early trauma. Yes, relational trauma. yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, they're shrunken. Yes, yes. So there is a, uh, a correlation between mm-hmm. individuals who have significant early relational trauma and decreased volume in these midline structures. This is wildly uh, in, in implicating our inability to appropriately, quote unquote, or accurately, as these researchers used, uh, evaluate stimuli that is about myself from ex- external and internal sources. And this is shaped over time in relationship. Do
0: you remember, I think it was I think it was last episode that we were talking about that analogy of a room full of mirrors? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I feel like what you're saying is that as far as we know, which is always up for science to tell us differently at any moment, um, as far as we know, neurobiologically and anatomically, that room full of mirrors is housed in those midline structures. Is that what you're saying?
2: Well, that is one one room of the mirrors. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. that are, It's very important because it then starts the afferentation process. Yes. Uh, what you know now starts to shape how your body responds, and that's the story follows state follows story.
0: Right. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It is a continuous is going up. Yep.
1: Afferentation is going down.
2: Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's getting filtered all the way through. Mm-hmm. And then that, I mean, it's happening, like I said, millisecond by millisecond. Right. Yeah.
0: So I'm feeling the need to put this in um, kind of very practical yeah. lived experience terms. A, a, do you have one ready? No. Because I don't. <laughs> I mean, okay. I think we could come up with one real fast. But if you've got one, go.
2: I don't off the top of my head. Um, more than just... I think attachment is an excellent example mm-hmm. of just... Well, so
0: think of a normal attachment rupture that, mm-hmm. a, that a human might experience. So, um, you know, obviously there's a huge spectrum of relational experiences that humans have and some are, you know, more traumatic than others. But a middle-of-the-road traumatic experience that many, many people have. And if you guys are hearing a dog in the background, yes, you're right, sorry. there is a puppy. Um, her name is Luna. And it's accurate. And sometimes she gets sad when she's alone. Yes. That is Luna. (laughs) That is Luna. (laughs) Um, So the the experience of, let's say, a little kid comes home and is sad after school. And parent asks child, why are you sad? Mm. And child says, I got in trouble today. And right here in this moment, there's many options of how the parent is going to respond Mm. that would begin to, not begin to, continue to shape the child's understanding of themselves in relationship to other people. Mm. So we have a spectrum of options that the parent can choose in this moment. But a very common experience would be for the parent to look at the child quizzically and say, well, what did you do? Mm -hmm. So talk to me about in that moment... We got lots of options of how that yeah. child would interpret that very simple exchange, and all of the things that might factor in to how they experience that. But that that self attribution mm-hmm. seems really significant in that moment. So I'm I'm seeing like looks yeah. on your I mean, face and your face. There's a <laughs>
1: constellation of uh, attributions yeah. even in that example. Yeah. One of the things I was thinking is how you said well, what did you do? Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. I mean, you said content, mm-hmm. but the the way you said it mm-hmm. would it's like would, how mamas would communicate say it, it <laughs> so differently than yeah. if I said, as in, uh, um, what I have is an internally generated assumption mm. that they did something bad. Yeah. And I said, well, what did you do? That has a totally different mm. impact on the relational space between
0: okay so this is fascinating to me when you say it that way my internal reaction is: well if you said it that bluntly then it's really obvious that you're an asshole yeah right but my version which is the like subtle mom manipulation tone well what did you do Right, mm-hmm. it's it's so soft yeah. <laughs> that you don't you almost don't notice yeah. that something mean is happening right well, yeah. now. yeah, and the the you miss the sadness. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when it when it's so overt, sometimes it's easier to catch as a external issue. Like, geez, right? Mm-hmm. But when when there's that subtleness about it that feels so kind of like smooth and normal, right? Then we don't catch it. And I'm wondering if that is. Part of some of that misattribution, those errors, is because this is so subtle sometimes. Shame signals to children are profoundly subtle sometimes, Mm -hmm. but they still get translated as shame. And so I think this is a perfect example of how that happens. Mm -hmm. Like to me, the way that I said it, that is like the worst way that i could talk to my kid ever oh my gosh yeah. i would never say i mean your yeah. version is like well i do not deserve to have a well, child that's very obvious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. right but my version is oh that we accidentally do that to our kids all the time mm-hmm. it's really really easy to slip into that and so i'm curious like in that moment with either of those versions how would you guys explain or articulate the the misattribution of self generated versus other genera- generated generated well, because there's also whatever happened with the teacher back at school yeah, that is factoring it, in there
2: it also you know all of the experiences between that child and that parent yeah. uh, up until this moment right are all factoring into the child's uh, interpretation of what that parent said regardless of the tone that they put into it yeah um, because the the child's brain is processing the the face the tone, the posture, the proximity, mm-hmm. uh, the time of day, the food, the, every piece of their somatic experience as an embodied relational mm-hmm. mind is being factored into the way they're interpreting that stimuli. Right. So that is a necessary preface to my answer, which is that it depends. Uh-huh. It, it really does depend on how the relationship is with, with and between uh, the the parent child right. dyad because if you know Mel your comment of well what did you do it sounds curious mm-hmm. and a bid for more information right to help maybe the child ex ex uh, sorry understand mm-hmm. why the teacher got mad mm-hmm. or why they got in trouble in the first place.
0: And so your point is, if the child's experience up to that point is that Mom's mom going is, to be curious. Yeah, mom is usually curious and wants to know and kind of helps me sort through my big emotions after school, then that might not feel threatening or shaming at all. Yeah. But if normally mom is kind of shamey right and I'm
2: telling her this as a confession because I need to be punished
0: yeah and also maybe my teacher is going to tell you anyway so better come for me first yeah because then it would be worse note that you have to sign Uh, or something like that yes yeah so there's all of those factors from previous experience right yeah
2: where Caleb with yours well what did you do even that I mean it just depends on their past experience of that, but the, the, the tone you're putting into it definitely shows activation in you mm-hmm. of I need to understand because maybe this makes me look bad as a parent. Mm-hmm. And so I need to know how to correct your behavior. Right.
1: right. Which, yeah. And and that's like when you were giving the example of how the child approaches the parent, yeah. my like tone in meeting the child, like that sharp contrast illuminates a, mis- a attribution. That's right of the parent because right. there is I have now like heard part and attributed so much like
0: assumed yeah my there's assumptions everywhere yeah,
1: where those like m- before the midbrain yep my afferentation has then collapsed in on itself it's relying on previously engaged affrontation yep stories mm, that right. I've already made to in this moment mm. become immediately activated and 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 respond on on yes on mis-attribute, attributed experiences so rather than saying like oh like what did you do or oh yeah, man tell me you're what sad happened. like I, I, so
0: Caleb what you're saying like that piece of information I feel like is so simple but really really important and profound the speed at which we quit listening Yeah, And by listening in this context, I mean the speed at which our brain quits taking in more sensory information from what's happening in this current moment and defaults to making all of its decisions based on previous experiences. It It collapses. Yeah, that's what you mean by collapse. Mm -hmm. Okay.
2: Yeah, it's switching the sensory motor um, priority.
0: It's about Between attention,
2: affrontation. It's shutting yes. that off, yeah, and sending. More I have enough information into affrontation. Yes, yeah.
0: So, so we at Beyond Healing we talk a lot about objectification yes. versus subjectification. Yes. So one version of definition about objectification is when we quit engaging with the other through true afferent sensory information coming in from this moment and we default to the assumptions made by previous experience and only the efferent information that is already present in our system outside of what is happening in this moment right now mm-hmm. that is objectification yeah. i'm now interacting with you as an object in my own mind and not as the subject that is actually living right in front of me
1: yeah 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 and an object you know A subject is ever becoming. Yes. A subject you observe. Yeah. You encounter. You encounter. Experience. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's complex, and it's complex millisecond by millisecond. And so to engage something as a subject is to always have one foot in curiosity.
2: That's right. Oh, that's Um, beautiful. But to objectify
1: something is to collapse into you are this you uh, like i i completely know this and i love that you're you. saying
0: collapse because to me like what we're talking about is that that collapse out of ventral and that's mm-hmm. pvt language yeah. for those of you guys that are familiar with pvt it's yeah. like a it's collapse. a social engagement system yes. collapsing in yes. and itself yeah which into a stress reaction of sympathetic Activation. or dorsal yes yeah. yeah
1: which like in yeah in that neurosequential which call back to down. bruce perry yeah through through those and this is like really what creates that collapse is those memories of fear? Yes, the threat Episode of selfhood two. is yeah. the then just collapse. creates a collapse at that midline and the limbic diencephalon region. Yeah, yeah, it and drops the collapse, and then your body goes into a reactive state, which is yes. like Dan Siegel's language. That's right. Whereas if you are in a uh, responsive open state, you have the one foot in curiosity all the time. Yeah,
0: yeah. So it's the collapse into. Sympathetic strategy mm-hmm. and stress activation that pulls us into objectification.
1: Yeah, and I love that word mm. strategy. Mm-hmm. Yes, strategy. Yeah, over, we're a little obsessed with that word. <laughs> yeah, like because you go into a strategizing <laughs> you you state. You have to. You have to. And you drop out of an open state.
2: Strategy is about threat mitigation, right? You know, task mm-hmm. performance to mitigate threat mm-hmm. or or challenge.
0: So so in in back to kind of that relational dynamic that attachment relationship between that parent and that child if you have a parent that is quote unquote triggered by their child getting in trouble at school and is sympathetically activated and potentially you know has a shame reaction to the idea of themselves not being a good enough parent because my child has humiliated me by getting in trouble yeah. right so they collapse into a sympathetic strategy and now that child has no one to co-regulate with them in their stressful experience because that parent is out of ventral into a sympathetic reaction and has no regulation to offer their child. Yes, and it's
2: those relational experiences that shape those higher order processes of the brain, thus attributing to this further augmentation Mm. of the disorganization of mind because the activation was dysregulating to the parent whose role is to help shape their child's social engagement system. Now that child is more likely, and this is the theory of this paper that we're Mm -hmm. reviewing right now, Mm -hmm. it is then the child that is going to struggle to really make sense of their lived experience in regards to their own self-schema and its shame.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: Well, and intuitively that makes so much sense because, you know, in that hypothetical story, the child came to the parent with stress. Yes. Overwhelmed, yeah defeat. and instead of getting comfort and co-regulation and the and nurture and attunement and all of the stuff that a little kid would need in that situation what they got was a stressed out and activated parent that had nothing to offer except shame and fear
2: blame guilt shame
0: and in that moment the parent made it about them yep rather that's, than about their child and that, that is where the misattribution comes that's in. misattribution because yes. it's that's no exactly longer
2: it. it's no longer between parent and child it's now between parent and teacher through child
0: and the child has to somehow make sense of that very confusing experience of wait a second is how we were talking today. about me now why is my parent so upset and why why does it seem like they're needing something from mm-hmm. me right now i have to deal with that that makes tremendous sense and that is the neurobiological explanation of why it's adaptive to have these misattribution mis- mis- errors that's right oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. that's right
3: mm-hmm. yeah
2: this collapse would not happen if it wasn't evolutionarily adapted
0: yeah well and that i think that's what i've been talking through is like well this is strange why is this why does this make sense i'm sure that it does mm-hmm. right it has to because biology doesn't do something that doesn't make sense
2: nope never
0: and so in this situation it makes sense to misattribute if i have a parent that can never let me be a child and needs me to be something other than a full human subject child that is going to be necessarily dependent on them for my emotional regulation. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well,
2: where, where are you going? I'm going into self-schema, self-esteem, and negative affect. You're staying more with the
1: article. I was. <laughs> Do you want to spin up now? <laughs> um, Wait, I feel like I, I already was, like I so w- you guys make a was. choice. <laughs> okay. Um, let, me, let me let you go. And okay. Then, um, I'll come around because mine is more so like... Well, I was moving
2: into discussion. Okay. Section. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's good. Okay. So important to note in this article is they were looking at this sort of illusory conceptual link between early, early relational trauma and the organization of the self schema. And they chose to look at that through self-esteem and, um, shame proneness, mm. which is a leap they were, they were looking at the literature and saying these are uh, more often than not correlated, mm-hmm. uh, at least conceptually. And so we're going to uh, try to observe it empirically in this, in this experimental design. And what they found was that um, there was not an association between early relational trauma and one's uh, self-schema organization mm. through shame and self-esteem, which is not a popped balloon at all. Yeah. Um though it sounds like oh dang early relational trauma doesn't affect our self schema that's not the case at no. all. No. Mm-hmm.
0: But it's not in exactly the way they thought. That's right. Yeah.
1: In the way that it is negatively self-evaluative. Yes. It is not affecting. And Mel you brought up a phenomenal point of narcissists I as like an, an, an a, a way of maybe illuminating why there's a need for further research in this because it's it's the idea of self-evaluation is more complex than you are healthy if you think you're good and you oh, are unhealthy if you think you're bad. So much more complex. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So before we were recording, we were kind of talking in general about this article. One of the thought questions that I had, which cause I have a lot of those. It's like, I don't know if I'm thinking this or if I'm questioning it. I'm just, it's, it's a thought question that <laughs> happens a lot. Um, So the thought question that I had is, if misattribution can happen in the direction of I take blame and shame for things that are actually not mine to take, right? They're not internally generated. They were externally put on me, but I misattribute them and believe that I am shameful and bad and believe that I uh, created that myself. But could that also happen with a incorrect assessment in the positive direction? Or in the, and by positive, I want to really nuance that and say the overinflated um, ego evaluation Hmm. of my own importance to the detriment of other people, the promotion of my importance and the demotion of others, which is, you know, one of the hallmarks of narcissism. And that to me feels like An expression of misattribution gone the other direction Mm -hmm. and when you look at the usual kinds of parental dynamics that produce narcissism in children it actually makes a lot of sense yes Mm -hmm. because it's still the parent needs the child to be something the parent needs the child to be Special,
2: which is that same issue in the example we just gave yeah. of the parent child teacher scenario. Yes. The parent yes. needs the child to behave uh, in the teacher's classroom mm. so that the teacher will think well of the parent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you have such good parents,
0: that's right. And so, as the you know, hypothetical parent of a budding narcissist. What if I need my child to be extra special? How could that potentially be feeding my emotional needs as a parent to believe that oh my child's just gifted? Yeah, they're just special and, because and they different. Came from me. That's right, and that that need to boost my own ego through uh, putting that on my child um, <laughs> creates a misattribution in the child of the kid knows that they're not that special but they begin to misattribute mothers or fathers or, or whomevers. Yeah. yeah,
2: or, or even that they don't know if they're special or not. Yeah. There's confusion
0: around that. And yes. that's what I'm saying is the, the misattribution creates this confusion of self-evaluation.
2: Yeah. I have a client right now, uh, dismissive orientation and attachment um, to a very uh, significant degree uh, to the point of, you know, it's basically just a left hemisphere walking around. Mm. Um, in that process, her mother is... Um, exhibits um just a nasty narcissistic yeah. uh orientation yeah. to the degree that taking credit for even something like a college graduation yeah you were able to do this because of what i did for you
0: right <laughs> you this know, is how fragile my ego is as a mother i need your graduation to be about me yep. god. yeah god yeah and i'm yeah. so
2: happy to be uh the mother of this uh powerful woman right um who graduated college I remember all the times we would sit together at the dinner table and I would help her with her homework and
1: yeah which is why this study is so it's a small study and it goes at something so specific Nine but pages. it's so beautiful for this reason because yes. the narcissistic tendency or strategy displayed in a human is going to score high on misattribution and low on shame proneness. Yes, right. And high on self-esteem. Which is exactly what the research is, said. Which is where you're like, oh wait, if wait. they sh- if they're like high in self-esteem and low in shame proneness, they're probably pretty healthy. No. <gasps> Wrong. Because there's this. Like, they're
0: still high in misattribution. They're yeah. pathological. Yeah. Incorrect yeah. self-evaluation. That is misattributed. L- yes. It's rigidity. Mis- yeah, misattributed self-evaluation. And I when I just got goosebumps. Yeah, and and so health redefined in this way is about accurate attribution in all directions. Yes. Mm-hmm. Of Both letting in evaluation and yes, procedure. That's yes, right. Yeah, of letting mine be mine and yours be yours and having the internalized and embodied tools to actually know the difference between those two things. Yeah. And that is hard. Like even as adults we struggle with this. No, I think we struggle with it because we had a hard time with it as a kid. But the yes, point is, absolutely. is that misattributing children become misattributing adults, who then have children and teach them to misattribute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Larger well, meta yeah. story, state follows, yes, story. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the generational version of that. <laughs> I think the genetics and yes. theory. <laughs> oh, there's a lot to talk about. We won't get into all of that tonight. Take the training. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I think
1: <laughs> I've felt that in EMDR. In okay, say more. Sometimes clients come in and they are more willing to engage in the curiosity that the Attributions from their past may be wrong; Mm -hmm. they may be wrongly attributing them to their own internal self-states. Whereas it's not you that is bad; it was your father Mm -hmm. saying that you are bad, Mm -hmm. and you can get that distancing, right? And that helps EMDR in that moment, hard and fast early on, helps them to have more openness to reorienting their attributions, their more procedural experiences of stimuli. In the present, but I also yeah. have the opposite. Yeah. Where I've noticed people who you spend several months just trying to get them to re, like, be curious about their day-to-day lives. Yeah. Because when you try, EMDR, and you're trying to get them to first, take responsibility. They won't. Yeah. They things are the way they are. Yeah. yeah. I don't. They can't change. I don't think of anything except for the bad. And yeah. there's no like adaptive even anything. hints anywhere yeah. Yeah. in their statements. Mm-hmm. We're just looping, looping, looping and then you kind of okay, well let's step back. Let's just totally focus on like relational here and now potentially reorienting some procedural experiences of the self, realizing that when I talk, I'm not saying these things mm. which shifts okay. So you're not telling me I'm bad and mm-hmm. and then through a couple months, then they're ready to go and reorient the past. Right. misattributions
0: well and it's so fascinating that sometimes in the healing process people almost like pendulate in their errors of attribution mm-hmm. right? Mm, that's they, right they they oh, like yeah. swing from one direction i did a session this morning <laughs> and immediately upon having a moment of feeling like she was releasing some long-held shame then she immediately moved into villainization of the other to a erroneous degree Um, and she looped on that we were doing EMDR and she looped on that for quite a while and so the interweave which in EMDR is kind of a way that you help when somebody's a little bit stuck all I said was what if there didn't have to be a villain in the story well that was not what she wanted to hear because that is such a paradigm shift and that has to do with our challenges of attribution well,
2: that that right there highlights this collapse that caleb yes. is talking about because in where's the threat yes. Where's
0: how do i locate the threat if I'm there's not an a
2: villain activated state yeah. which requires me to find a perpetrator yes if there is no perpetrator, I do not have justification for my activation right. and therefore I'm wrong.
0: Yeah, either if they're not the villain, then that means I'm the villain. Yeah. And that's more intolerable.
2: Right. Or I don't know who the villain is and yes. that means I'm completely even, incapable even of addressing a threat. Yes. Yes. That's right.
0: And so I think like as therapists, that's one thing that we run into a lot is we're not necessarily talking about this version of misattribution is Bad, and that we need to stop it. And as long as they're doing the opposite of that, everything's great. It's about inaccurate attribution is always pathological for us. It's always disintegrating to our system. And they,
2: the researchers don't use this phrase, but incompetent source Mm. attribution.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: To me just gets at, I mean, that is a fear of mammalian biology Mm -hmm. is an inability to integrate your experience for safety and survival. Yeah. Incompetence in that regard is one of our largest threats on this planet
0: yeah
1: that's the bromberg yes but um, i feel like we have, at this way comes. that's right yeah. but yeah. we have
0: overcompensated due to that fear yes. and the Whoa. the need for survival yeah. the the evolutionary sacrifice that we made is well if I have to like misattribute and be kind of shameful, but I'm still alive, I'll do that.
2: That's the disease avoidance architecture. Yes, exactly. That we just did
0: exactly. And yeah. so I think you know it makes a lot of sense that our neurobiology is kind of willing to sacrifice right. some things in order you know rather be safe than sorry. Let's right. misattribute too much, rather than run the risk of not attributing enough and being vulnerable to yeah. attack again.
1: And, and and humans are so beautiful that most people are going to be there's an intrapsychic world is complex enough to where this sort of misattribution is then state dependent across many states. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you can get nuanced into, well, when I'm in a certain state, a fear state, I'm going to misattribute information and, and kind of like form information in a different way, which is like back to Crittenden's uh, DMM. Mm -hmm. But also if I'm in a, uh, an angry state or i use joker states which is like hmm. the entanglement of um play rage, rage and play yeah. um, and if i'm in that state i'm going to form information and energy differently and then i'm going to misattribute probably differently yeah. than if i'm in a grief state and yeah. like that yeah. is both beautifully it's It's beautiful and daunting yes Yes. yeah
0: well and i think like that whole point that you're making that the current state of activation in our nervous system heavily influences our attribution errors um so i'm a female and i'm about to venture into a topic that feels sensitive to everybody you guys ready okay you're gonna feel nervous to comment on anything that i'm about to say okay pms (laughs) Okay. Oh yeah. So here, here's what I'm going to say about that. There are all kinds of biological factors that factor into our current state of attribution. How are we attributing, and how are we experiencing, and perceiving all kinds of things? Mm-hmm. PMS is an experience of heightened misattribution. <laughs> right. Well, I can't say
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I know this is what. <laughs> like, it. are you guys yeah. going to say anything? No, nope, you're not going to. Are like, you? I'm nope. trusting yeah. your experience. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean. Everybody has experience with PMS. It just depends on where you are in that, you know, dynamic. But my point is, is that it does not mean that, therefore, our attributions during the experience of PMS are not real to us. Or invalid. No. Quite quite the opposite of that. The The realness of it and the intensity of it is heightened. Hmm. But we have to be aware that we are more prone to misattribution. Now, here's the trick. And here is also the trick when we're parenting. Hmm. The emotional experience is 100% valid, while the attribution and the understanding of what it means can be invalid.
3: Yeah.
0: And that is one of the trickiest things that we try to teach clients is, no, 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 you can still be mad at them, even though it may not have been their fault. We, d- we can't know for sure, right? The, the attribution of blame is so tempting to us, and it's one of our biological ways of staying safe. And so when we are in a heightened space and when we're feeling threat of any kind, our system immediately starts looking for perpetrators and p- people to blame.
2: What you're saying is very interesting to this article because, to me, I'm hearing procedure and evaluative procedural and evaluative because what they found is that early relational trauma does not show correlation with evaluative impact on the self mm. schema but it does for the procedural
0: okay talk about what that means
2: right so to what you're saying right now which is that the emotional experience is still valid mm-hmm. whereas it doesn't necessarily mean right. that the other right is the perpetrator
0: yeah well okay so here here's a universal experience how about this one sleep deprivation it produces massive misattribution errors, mm. right? When we are underslept. Yeah. We emotionally start to experience and attribute things very, very differently than when we're well-slept and rested, etc. Mm. So that that's what I mean, that there's all these biological factors that heighten misattribution errors really significantly. Okay, go back to what Particularly
2: saying. Particularly in a procedural component, wherein so my So what's the difference
0: between procedural and evaluative? Yeah,
2: and I feel like that's a point that we still yeah. need to yeah, narrow make. down on, because... I think, yeah. I think we know what it means together. But just to get uh-huh. us all on the same page, uh-huh. so in a procedural um, uh, process, you're you're looking more at the the movers and shakers of the experience. Form, yeah, exactly. The way, like the. Like the step one, step two, step three, step four. The
0: what do we do here. Exactly. Okay.
2: How this is going um, and which uh, person wins, which person loses, which person went first, which person went second.
0: Who's supposed to do what, when. Right. What am
2: I supposed to do then in response? Those types of things. That's procedural. Mm -hmm. Whereas evaluative is looking at um, almost like the, we would call it like the inner subjective um, reality. What is going Mm -hmm. on in the core of the self? Um, not necessarily in what the self does.
1: That's fascinating. Like content.
2: Yeah, over process. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the procedural component is what they found correlation with in in looking at early relational that trauma. That makes so much sense to not me. In but the evaluative. not in the evaluative. It didn't touch their measurement of the self schema. Uh-huh.
1: Early early you know- relational trauma affects, like callback, we were talking about it earlier, the seven affective circuits, the trees, yeah, yeah. the... The early relational trauma affects which trees, yes, are touched and entangled. by the experience, and then like connected.
0: You guys, I think I think that early relational trauma causes significant dissociation around evaluative ability. One hundred percent. It it necessitates a hyper focus on procedural. Yes, this experiences. Is what, this is well, what yeah. I've been
2: talking about with this organization of mind for yeah. over
0: a
1: year. That's what that yeah. point right there.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I've been trying to say this for a year, Melissa. You're just now getting it. <laughs> I love you too, Bridger. Jeez. (laughs) No,
2: I'm just trying to join you in your discovery. Like, yes, this is it. This is what you're talking about. Because, and this gets back to those midline structures.
0: (laughs) Well, so part of why I'm giggling is because sometimes uh, our lives seem to parallel our work quite a bit. (laughs) And earlier today, I was saying to you, Bridger, sometimes I feel like I've completely missed the ability to have any idea of the impact that I'm having on other people. I get so caught up in what we're doing that it doesn't even register to me that like somebody is feeling something about what I'm doing. Yeah. And I walk around making people feel stuff all the time. Apparently, <laughs> as I'm learning. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but that was like a missed component. Yeah. Of you know my development as a human is we don't you know we don't talk about that. Right. But we talk a lot about whether you did something. The procedure. Right. It's all about procedure. Not evaluation. And in a high stress traumatic. Childhood kind of situation. Yeah. there's an over focus on procedure. So we we learn that we're really good at evaluating Which, Procedure like did this, Did I do it? Right? Did this, you do it? Right? Is this going right? But how do I feel as a human being going through this experience? Well, I don't know. We This is the that. problem
2: with studying guilt and shame. Yeah, we have falsely associated guilt with procedure and shame with evaluation there's Damn, just
0: no evaluation. It's, well it's In early just, relational trauma, the evaluation is not available. You don't even know that you are allowed to reflect on your own self because you don't have a self.
2: Well, I think that's interesting yeah, because I'm, like allowed to, I don't know, y- you are all the time. But your but it is it is disintegrated. Yes, it's that, dis- that's disintegrated. what I'm saying. Like yeah, like
0: yeah. your your self evaluation is so dissociated and disintegrated because it was not ever attuned to. You never had a mirror for it. So it's happening behind the scenes all the time because we still have the neuroarchitecture for it. Like yep. it's going to happen. But that experience is so not compatible with the rest of my lived life yeah. that I have to dissociate so it away.
1: You're 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 looking at, so like what you're talking about is you're looking through a people of a landscape. Yeah. And seeing like a very small part of it. And that's what the evaluative processes is is going to be going off of. Right. Because there's so much disintegration based on the procedural activation. Right. That is, that is quickly like your brain is quickly saying, uh, get that out, get that out, get that out. Not needed, not needed. inhibit, inhibit. That's right.
0: The only, the only thing about myself that matters is the other's evaluation of me. That is the only thing that matters. Yes.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah.
2: That is the, that's what's underneath attachment theory. Yeah,
0: that is what relational trauma is about, that's is right. that I am not allowed to know myself as myself. Yes. I am always so a, I an final, object of yours. Yes,
2: I have the final point to this article, which then frees us up to run, if we want.
0: I feel like we have been. I know, but I'm talking about... <laughs> go
2: more. Okay, okay, go. Um, okay, I'm just going to read from it, because all of what we have just said... Um, all of what we have just said... I think it's just going to be so interesting to now read this, which is one of the final discussion points of the article. They said, Our results showed that early relational trauma was not associated directly with low self-esteem or elevated shame proneness, which were the two components that they were looking at for self-schema effect. However, individuals with early relational trauma tended to misattribute representations that were externally derived as internally generated. Though early relational trauma positively correlated with other early adversities, including non-relational trauma and parental dysfunction, the link between early relational trauma and source misattribution remained significant when when these covariates were statistically controlled for. The observed confusion in the source of mental representations echoes the neurocognitive findings in individuals with early relational trauma, as both structural and functional changes in the brain regions responsible for the processing of representations pertinent to self or other people have been shown for this group so while early relational trauma could not be empirically linked with self-schematic organization it does have an organizing and disorganizing effect on higher brain regions which are then themselves influencing the organization of self mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. there's like one mediating step between but that doesn't mean that there's not an impact. It's just not able to be linked one to one. Yes. And
2: it is the early relational trauma group that consistently showed an inability to accurately Mm -hmm. attribute the Mm -hmm. source of stimuli.
0: That's fascinating.
1: It's utterly profound. Mm -hmm. Yes. How much um, information the brain is quickly. Yes. Um, Ripping apart and clenching onto of. small bits, and and not determining open to the whole.
0: This is important. This is not important. Pay mm-hmm. attention to this. Don't pay attention to that. The mm-hmm. the the sifting and the sorting that occurs, and if you think about, oh my gosh, just the constant inundation for children of messages about themselves.
3: That's
0: right. Is unreal to me sorry like I feel like emotional thinking about it because it's it's unbelievable to me watching the way that most humans talk to children Mm. we think that it is our god-given duty to tell them whether they're good people or not and whether or not they're okay and acceptable or whether they're doing the right or wrong thing most of their world consists of being told whether they're okay or not it's constant. Every every environment that they're in. Good job, right? You did so good. You did so good. Try harder next time. Or you're not you're not having a good day today. You know, it's just this constant
3: message message,
0: message message of oh people have opinions about me. People have opinions about me, and it doesn't stop. Then you know, like teenagers and social media. Dear God, and and it's not it's not that different. It's just that they have so much more exposure to it that they never get a break. Like, at least in my generation, I could go walk around and no one could talk to me for a while and I could get a break.
2: Well, yeah, they can't get a break. And it is that feedback that forms their sense of self. That's right. Early in the article, they said from the social feedback and early close relationships, children start to develop the sense of self and build up their own views toward themselves. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. They're utilizing the feedback and the way that feedback is shown to them yeah. to make meaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how others are interpreting feedback and then giving it back to them.
0: I feel like this is just such a powerful sort of. Um, I don't know. I'm. I have a really Christian-y word in my head, and I don't want to use it.
2: <laughs> you can use it. and We can deconstruct accountability. It. Yeah,
0: accountability. Uh, okay. Right. So as as therapists, holding ourselves accountable to not just be another experience of evaluation of their selfhood. This is it.
2: Not procedural.
0: Not procedural and not objectifying. Don't let your sessions with children be about telling them whether or not they're okay or good or, or bad or doing or right in or general. wrong or behavioral correction, modification, blah blah like no. Mm-hmm. Of of all of the sacred things that we could do for a child, really any human, but I'm thinking about kids providing a space where for an hour of their life there's not somebody telling them whether they're doing something right or not is profound because that is their whole world for the most part constant evaluation and that you know what we're saying in this article is that that constant evaluation leads to deep inability to know oneself Mm -hmm. in a really healthy way we we lose our identity in the sea of other people's opinions that's right yeah Mm
1: -hmm yeah uh, my mind went to um like how in our model we have this circle we talk about looping and mm-hmm. zenith and you launch we actually use that language launch mm-hmm. up and what i'm thinking about is how much energy it takes for a rocket mm-hmm. to launch into the
0: stratosphere stratosphere
1: mm-hmm. and lift off and how much like Power that takes. Yeah, but we attribute power to the left side. Yeah, which is the Having control over and stuff mm-hmm. language like that. for mm-hmm. but I'm thinking of. of like when I have done sessions with children and I spend uh, 49 and a half minutes <laughs> Curiously <laughs> playing uh-huh. and just fostering a curiosity in their procedure. Yeah, so oh well, let's not collapse on whether that's a right or wrong. Yeah Let's just, oh, what happened? Uh-huh. Okay, well, and if we try ha- something. How does that feel to you? Two-year-olds do that. Have oh, you ever yeah, yeah, watched yeah. it? Yeah. They'll just do the same thing over and over again. <laughs> just to see how just, it feels. Yeah. yeah, and oh, is that a different thing that happened? Well, yeah. okay. And then we'll try do again. It, Yeah, but like in our model, that 49 and a half minutes is a right hemispheric embodiment. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that left hemisphere, like when you think of, okay, so it takes that much energy to shoot a rocket up. And it takes very little energy for it to come down. Mm. And it happens much quicker. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so in our model, we launch up for Through potentially right. 49 and a half yep. minutes. <laughs> and then in that last 30 seconds, that, that left hemispheric coming down. But that's of, the
0: integration moment. Yeah.
1: yeah. You're talking about integrative gravity.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh. oh.
1: <laughs> wow. That hit me. <laughs> that's what you're talking this about. Is, yeah. pretty. Yeah. That's beautiful. And, and, and sp- believe it. It's heavy, and and yeah. when
0: you when you launch well, the integration is inevitable. Yeah, mm-hmm. like it. Yeah. Well, it's that all the more so powerful. True. Yeah. Yes.
1: They came back from the moon. They were jacked. Yes. Yeah. You and then shot you yourself gently... up ten feet, and you fell. You're not that jacked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're like that was cool, like a, a, yeah, sweet. A but try I that again? he went to the moon. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. And when he came back, it was he like was this huge different. celebration. He was different. So different. His world different. was totally different. Yes. Saw everything differently.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Your
0: Even perspective himself. is just completely changed. Yeah.
1: So in the therapy room of it, like being very, especially when you're talking about kids, but yeah. also not objectifying the clients who are older who are going to objectify their own self Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. hold on to that self-objectification, like don't enact into that. Yes. Uh, Like, yes. Like stay with the embodiment of just like fostering curiosity about how they're forming information and be open to guiding them. Yes. And them guiding you in an epic dance Mm -hmm. so that maybe at the end of the session you say, okay, this is actually where we came to. Mm -hmm. This is the place we find ourselves.
0: So I have a practical story to tell that I think maybe elucidates this, but I think it would be a good way to close. So I want to make sure that we're ready for that before I go there.
2: Yeah, I think just a practical takeaway Uh from each would be Uh helpful of this, this article. Because I think it just...
0: So I'll end and I'll tell my story as the practical. So you guys go first.
2: It emerges from to me what we're all so passionate about it comes out of the same zeitgeist. (laughs) Yes. Um to continue using um astrological language. (laughs) Um gravity, Zeitgeist.
1: There's a theme. Mm -hmm. Um every episode has them. That's right. It's beautiful.
2: Yeah, we were on Arbistry earlier. Yeah, yeah. Trees. I mean we're neural arbitry. Yeah.
0: Anyway, I didn't talk about fungal webs today, so that's good. You just good. did. There it is. Okay. So <laughs> fractals, okay, yeah. I said that too. That's right. Nice. <laughs> Got to get all my things in. <laughs> nice.
2: um, but it, it just emerges from the same place, which to me is just so encouraging when you find other researchers that are that are finding the same breadcrumb trail. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a really precious crumb, this article. And to me, you know, it it's it's only 9 pages. And it's in a journal um, that is from the APA, but it's not one of their, you know, most reputable journals. Um, it's likely something that a lot of people didn't read. But to me, it just holds everything that we're talking about, that we're so passionate about. We've developed three trainings off of this thing, what we call the embodied connection theory. Yeah, And it's coming from the same exact place. Mm-hmm. Um. To me, the practical takeaway is that relationships shape our brains, and our brains inform our relationships. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that just reciprocal cycle that we get into um, is very vulnerable Mm -hmm. to something like shame.
0: And I want to add to that, which is relationships shape our selfhood, and then our selfhood shapes our relationships. That's right. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's
2: right. Caleb? Yeah, I mean, mine. Retweet. What you my, oh, I'll
1: go for a retweet anytime. Should I quote it and just put two hearts? Oh, <laughs> you dog!
0: <laughs> so copy paste. <laughs> go ahead. The old school. That <laughs> yeah, was a good callback. Good. <laughs> um,
1: my my mind went to um, two things: like the, the Harry Stack Sullivan idea of hmm. the self as a combination of the reflected appraisals of the other, and also like the more practical experience of as a clinician when I am actively like bumping up against or challenging these misattributions of self-objectification where the client sees themselves only good for Mm. insert objective role yeah Mm -hmm. insert role insert thing and they come to me maybe over anxiety about how they're not fulfilling that role Mm. and then in therapy we bump up against I'm telling you that you are more than that role. Right. And that hits a really like, that goes even deeper and gets an even sometimes sharper collapse. Yes. Because I'm hitting deeper networks.
2: It's an untraversable chasm to the self. And And
1: having like really intentional like awareness of that feels like it connects to this as far as like, I'm not, I don't, I want to be careful of my evaluative like impositions. Yes. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I, as a subject need to see them as the subject that they are Mm -hmm. and not feed into how they have internalized a misattribution and now perpetuate it by hearing what I'm saying and going into
0: like an enactment. Absolutely. Well, and I think, you know, one of the things that you're saying, Caleb, that I want to like really hit on is as therapists, we sometimes make clinical choices about whether or not we just meet the client with their stated goal of being better at the roles that they're playing? Mm. Or are we going to take them to the layer deeper and say, what if we have a different goal that's about you being the fullest, happiest expression of your humanness that could be? Yeah, yeah. That is usually a little dysregulating for people because we find safety in our roles. And as therapists, it's tempting to just collude with them in helping them play their roles better. I, I need to be a better uh, spouse. I yeah. need to be a better parent. I, I need to be happier at work.
2: It <laughs> was quite literally, I mean, just on the, the cusp of actual arm wrestling <laughs> uh, with a client last week uh, <laughs> over this issue. Yeah, um, it's so Because hard. showing and, and just giving the mirror of this is the subject-object struggle that you're in right now. Yeah, And they're just ardent.
1: Choice
2: Of objectivity
0: Yeah
1: They want
2: it I want I need it Objective uh, yeah. perfection Yes Not subjective expression Yeah mm-hmm. I
0: committed A deep deep commitment to it
2: It's my only safety Yeah Bridger yeah. You don't understand
0: Yeah And you don't know what people will do to me
2: I've built a life around this mm-hmm. object
0: mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: I have oh, children Yeah I have a husband
0: Yeah I can't let go of it
2: You don't understand And how dare you
0: Mm-hmm and there, there is a need for humility on our part that there, right. are, there oh are many God. real yeah. situations where asking somebody to step out of their objectification is intolerable and it's not our job to push them over a cliff it's that they're not willing annihilation. to jump.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The yep. balance, like that's Bromberg safe, but not too safe. Yes. Like yeah. we've got a, we've got a like dance with that line of, I'm going to make you more of a subject. Which inevitably causes suffering, mm. and at the same time, like, be okay with you, like resisting subjectification mm-hmm. to some degree. Just assuming yeah. it's going to happen. It has yeah. to
0: happen. You yeah. know.
2: Yeah. What's so, your story, though?
0: Oh, well, it's a story about my daughter because that's a. Well, she just turned day, four yeah. today. Happy, so birthday. happy birthday to Honora! She turned four at eight fifty-four this morning. And, uh, she her, let you know at
1: 8.54 Well no,
0: at 7.30 in the morning When I went in to wake her up She bolted out of bed and said Am I four now? And I said yes right now. Yeah. And she's like right now I'm four right now Yes, you're four And her immediate response was We have to see how tall I am <laughs> <laughs> Because that makes sense when yeah. you're four Oh yeah, Because uh, clearly you grew overnight Because you grow once a year on your birthday You just get taller on you your birthday up. Yep. Is that not how um, <laughs> Anyway So uh, my four year old has a lot of big feelings as many do. I kind of think that mine has a few extra though, just by, by basic personality. There's a lot of feelings there, big ones. And, uh, so one of the habits that she's been in lately is telling me lies. And the lies are always along the lines of, uh, how somebody in her life told her that they didn't love her. So sometimes it's grandma told me that she doesn't love me or the woman that watches her at daycare. Miss Miranda told me that she doesn't love me. Now, Obviously, I know this isn't true because I know these humans and that would never happen
2: because they do love her. Yeah
0: And literally most recently she, she said to me. Do you remember that time that you told me that you don't love me? I said well No And so in that moment All of my therapy brain is kicking into gear going <laughs> what <the heck>? this <laughs> yeah, like this feels important I don't know why but oh, yeah. i'm pretty sure that something is up here mm-hmm. So in that specific moment, one of my good parenting thoughts, because there were some bad ones, (laughs) I won't objectify myself that way. There were some less helpful ones um, and more scary ones. And instead of thinking, dear God, I'm raising a sociopath, what I thought was, I wonder what she's trying to communicate to me when she says this. So I'm going to let my little four-year-old with all of her big feelings stay a subject for a second and just stay ventral and grounded. right now. And I'm going to regulate with her and I'm going to get real curious about what's happening in her little world. So what I said instead was, Honora, when you tell me those made up stories, because, you know, I got to hold her accountable to the fact that she's lying because that's not cool. When you tell me those made up stories, what are you feeling when you want to tell me that? And she thought for a very long time, I mean, long for a four year old. And instead of answering, she told me a story about somebody else telling her that. And what I realized in that moment is she has no idea why she's telling me this because she's four. This is just her best expression of whatever is going on with her. And so then I thought, I wonder if it feels interesting to her to experiment with feeling what it would feel like to not be loved by somebody important to her. I wonder if she's trying to figure out what that would feel like to her. And so I asked her that. I said, does it feel kind of interesting to imagine what it would be like if somebody didn't love you. <gasps> yeah. That does feel interesting, Mom. <laughs> I
1: heard her voice. Like, when you said
0: that. <laughs> it's because she talks just like me. Yeah. <laughs> Looks like her dad talks like her mom. Um, And in that, in that space, I think, you know, a lot was going on, obviously, and I'm sure I will figure out a lot more because that's really interesting what's going on in her mind and in her body. But I realized it is totally developmentally appropriate at this point for her affective circuitry to be just on like full blast in there with very little awareness and regulation of what the heck any of that means. So her left hemisphere is doing its best job At telling me a story to articulate the felt sense that's happening in her body.
2: In response to an external request. Yes. Mm -hmm. An external stimuli requests information. Yes. Requests justification for internal representations. Yeah.
0: And that is how children are trained and we are neurobiologically pre programmed to always attribute our internal experience to an external cause.
2: Yeah, that's how you learn self.
0: That's right. But in reality, it is simply that her body and her neurobiology, her neuroanatomy, is growing real fast in there. And there's all kinds of really intense feelings going on. Mm -hmm. And so her mind and her body is looking for an external reason to explain what she's feeling. And as a parent, in that moment, we will either double down And make them feel ashamed and teach them. Why would you say that? That's right. Or give them a different attribution. I would never say that. Yeah, give them a different attribution and perpetuate the same problem. Or in that moment, we teach them that there can be an internally generated experience that is uniquely her own. Just her. That's Anora having an Anora experience. And it's okay that it's intense in there. And also, I'm still with you even when it's intense in there. That's right. And I'm going to help you understand what it's like to be you in there without making it about me or about what, what adults need you to be at four years old. You're allowed to have really intense neurobiological experiences because your brain is growing right now, and that's completely appropriate. And that feel, if, to me, it feels incredibly practical, number one, when we're doing therapy with kids and interacting with kids in general, but helping adults understand how did they get to where they were Maybe they were a child that was having big, intense emotional experiences simply because that's what it means to be a kid. It's an intense experience. There's a lot going on. Do you remember growing pains? Those suck, right? There's a lot of reasons why little kids just don't feel good sometimes. And we always want to make it about something outside of them. But teaching them to just feel what they're feeling and be okay with what they're feeling is at least in my experience our number one job as a parent and therefore as a therapist as well because that's basically what we're doing a lot of the time and to me that's just like a very practical little story of even when it seems kind of scary that your four-year-old is telling you that everybody doesn't love her right no this is just in her world the best explanation of what would create that feeling in her Mm -hmm. does that make sense absolutely yeah Mm -hmm.
1: yeah that felt sense i've before we end, and if listeners are here this far, praise God. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but I, I wonder, I'm throwing out a potential moat oh. episode topic. Come on. Oh. About how the education system within the Western less hemi- left hemispheric oriented culture is augmenting yeah. this experience of shame. Perpetually and villainization of yeah. the other. Yes, because our school systems are so oriented mm, towards content yeah. Not proprioceptive mm-hmm. understanding and process mm-hmm. and process I spend so much of I work, also work in a residential facility and I can't tell you how many times I stop in the hallway and I'm just spending 10 minutes giving a kid direct state feedback yeah, man. When you said that, that made me feel this. What do you feel? And processing this and that to me seems to be some of the most effective behavioral modification, <laughs> Isn't than being like, "Hey, don't do that. Yeah. Stop that, that behavior." That is yeah. that is yeah. disrespectful. God. So whoa, man. That that really like the way you said that made me feel this. When you said that, what did you feel? Yeah. And What's getting there, getting there, insula and insular cortex to then name it. Yeah. And start to then Recognize impact Identify mentalization And
0: yeah. integrate their own Internal experience As a valid part Of their lived experience Yeah, that's yeah. Right.
1: And maybe it's just me That wants to vent About the education system so Oh st- not Left hemispheric dominance oh, We're, we're um, all right there with you But maybe yes. that's an episode <laughs> Yes it's remote. an episode and Oh that
0: should be Yeah The attribution errors Perpetuated by the educational system
1: I'd listen to it
0: <laughs> You will very soon Oh just a little bit Of foreshadowing A teaser teaser about the future of beyond healing and its educational impact anyway it's coming thank you guys so much for listening and we'll talk to you next time thanks for listening to this episode find us on our website at beyondhealingcenter.com slash media also subscribe to our patreon to support us at patreon.com slash center find all episodes on itunes and spotify thanks for listening